Since mid-October, Lebanese people from across the country have been protesting. When the government discussed a raft of taxes, including a daily fee on WhatsApp calls, anger erupted. Within hours, people were on the streets, and within days, they wanted the government gone. People demanded a new administration that would quickly address years of corruption, rising inequality, poor management, stagnation, and ageing infrastructure. They also wanted an end to sectarian governance that had ruled the small eastern Mediterranean country for decades. Within two weeks, Prime Minister Saad Hariri resigned. On January 22nd, 85 days later, his replacement, Prime Minister Hassan Diab, finally formed a new administration. But those on the streets did not rejoice. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're back in Beirut to see what's happened since October 17th and what the new government means for Lebanon. When we last visited the revolution on Beyond the Headlines in October, we saw how underneath the serious issues and the anger, the streets resembled festivals, with dancing, music, poetry and chants. Art spaces opened up and families joined the throngs in squares and streets across the country. If you haven't heard that episode, there's a link in the show notes. But the Nationals' Willie Lowry has been covering the protests and has seen how things have been changing. There were parties in the streets in Martyr Square in Beirut. In Tripoli, there was essentially a rave. And all of that excitement and, and I mean, there was anger, but there was also excitement and optimism. That is, that's kind of vanished. And now there's just anger and frustration. And you get the feeling that as these protests have continued, people's optimism that this is actually going to work is waning. So things are just getting more and more dire. And the, the, the protesters are getting more and more frustrated. And that means they're kind of lashing out at times. What I saw last night was people so frustrated and with such little regard for, for the government that they were just really trying to destroy anything they could see, whether that was building facades or street posts, uh, street signs, anything that they could get their hands on to smash. They were essentially trying to do that. That anger has spilled out now protesters are regularly clashing with security forces. One side is throwing rocks, fireworks and debris, and the other is responding with water cannon, tear gas and rubber bullets, and then baton charges. Many demonstrators and a number of police have been wounded. So we just, we just got tear gassed, and anybody who's been tear gassed immediately understands why it's called tear gas because it makes you cry. And it burns. It really burns. After he'd recovered, he told us a bit more about how things are playing out. I mean, the scenes really were a smoky haze. You had people doing their best to cover their faces, whether with scarves or T-shirts. Lots of people uh, using onions to help them breathe, something that, that helps negate the effects of tear gas. You also had a, a heavy medical presence. There were ambulances uh, constantly on the move last night. I saw one man who had been hit quite badly 
in the head uh, by uh, some sort of debris. He was bleeding from the temple. He was brought into the ambulance and then taken away. These are scenes that are becoming increasingly common now, but certainly weren't present uh, earlier in the protests. And that anger hasn't subsided since Diab's government was formed. Timur Disrati, a protester in Beirut, had this to say about the new government. Uh, the new government is really bad because basically it is a replica of the old government but with different faces. So basically the names have changed but the agendas and the political uh, parties are still the same. Just the fact that uh, they are appointing the, uh, the ministers and the deputies and everybody. So I mean this is the biggest proof that uh, nothing has changed, that they're not listening to the people, to the voice of the people, to the change that people are asking. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're just deaf, I'm sorry. This is the reality. But there is one crucial difference between this administration and the last. In a country that's usually run on coalitions, political deals and seemingly unlikely alliances, Diab was only backed by half the country's politicians. In Lebanon, after the revolution in 2005 to demand the end of the 15-year Syrian occupation, political parties were broadly split into two camps named after two key dates in that uprising. There was the March 14th camp, like Hariri's future movement, the Lebanese forces and the Progressive Socialist Party. These were parties that largely had strong links to the West and the Gulf and wanted to see a strong independent state of Lebanon. Then there were the pro-Syrian March 8th alliance. These include the Iran-backed Hezbollah, the Amal movement and the Free Patriotic movement. By the end of the decade, this alliance had broken down, old friends became rivals, and new coalitions took shape. But Mr Diab was elected almost exclusively by members of the March 8th coalition. Those in the old March 14th camp mostly abstained. Almost overnight, the old alliance appeared to be back, at least when it came to this issue. Unlike Mr Hariri's government that included all the major political factions, only the March 8th parties were able to then name ministers to the new administration. Regardless of what happens on the streets, this divide already sets Lebanon up for a deep political division and a return of adversarial politics that's yet to play out. But there are also major question marks over the new government. For the first time in years, there are no career politicians in cabinet, no MPs hold posts, and many of the faces are relative unknowns. There's a mix of former diplomats, academics, and people with relevant technical experience. This, Diab says, meets the demand of the street for a cabinet of technocrats. But people aren't happy. They say that the new ministers will simply be puppets of the March 8th parties that nominated them. You know, I asked them, so you have this new government, why are you still protesting? And for them, this is just a government, it's the same but new faces, they said. Nothing, none of their requests have been acknowledged, and they feel that this is simply uh, a government, really, a Hezbollah government in disguise. They believe that this is a March 8th uh, government, so that means there's no one on the March 14th, which is traditionally the anti-Syrian and more pro-Western side of the political spectrum here in Lebanon, which was Saad Hariri's uh, uh, party or side. No one from March 14th is represented in this new government. So it's essentially a Hezbollah government or a Gibran Basile, who is perhaps the most loathed political uh, 
politician here in Lebanon, and, and they just think that this isn't what they wanted, and it shows to them that the, the politicians aren't listening to them. Here's Ziad Nasser, a 28-year-old consultant who joined the protests against the new government. Let's say what people call the 8th March Alliance uh, have decided to build their own uh, government, which we call a government of one color, uh, a government that's associated with Iran, a government that's associated with Hezbollah and with Syria. Protesters are honestly furious. Uh, it's like a, a couple million people took themselves and their voices to the street to protest and no one listened to them. Uh, they're still trying to divide the same political parties to divide the cabinet seats as if it's a monopoly game that they're splitting between each other. And people have, have lost complete, uh, complete trust uh, in these guys. So already, Diab and his 19 ministerial colleagues have a tall order. But what exactly are the issues facing the government? Public debt topped $85 billion in the first month of 2019. 60% of the state's revenue goes on paying that interest alone. Then there's a whole load of underlying slow burn issues. A festering waste management crisis, huge inequality and high unemployment. There's been very little investment in infrastructure for years, and that's left roads potholed and traffic clogged. Water cuts are common and power cuts are daily. Lebanon hasn't had 24-hour electricity since before the start of the civil war. Those who can afford it bridge the blackouts with private generators. But to add to the matter, the state's electrical supplier runs a loss of between $1 and $2 billion a year, and that the state has to step in to cover. This drains even more money from the already stretched budget. When the protests broke out, many of these underlying issues came to a head all at once. Banks were shut for weeks, work ground to a halt, and many companies reported layoffs or cuts in staff hours. At the same time, the value of the Lebanese lira officially pegged to the US dollar at 1507, slid past 2000, then to 2200, and declined by nearly 40%. Nasser Saidi, a former Lebanese economy minister and former vice governor of the central bank, laid out the scale of the public debt crisis. Already, he says, debt is at 135% of GDP. In 2020, he says, interest payments on the debt will be around $10 billion. That's around 22% of GDP and more than 60% of government revenue. These numbers are simply not sustainable. And it means that the new government is going to have to work urgently at remedying um, the fiscal crisis, the economic crisis, the banking currency crisis, as we mentioned. Uh, that is the top priority. It is not so much about politics. It is about um, the economics. But what can the government do about it? You need to address the issues that led to protests in the streets. That is, you need to talk about corruption, waste, bribery, and addressing those, because those are fundamental to establish credibility of the government. And above all, I think one priority is to set up a social safety net. Uh, poverty and rates in Lebanon have risen sharply. The World Bank estimates um, that some 250,000 Lebanese are below the food poverty level. <clears throat> that is, they can barely get enough money to buy food. One and a half million, that is one third of the population, <clears throat> is now below the poverty level. That is, they're living on less than $5 per day. So those are the, the, the main concerns. You need to avoid 
a rapid deterioration of social conditions. Because of the scale of the crisis and the sudden rise in the casualties and violent protests, several hospitals in Beirut have said they will treat people who are wounded on the streets for free. This is despite hospital directors warning for months that the healthcare system is on the brink of collapse. Saidi says that the government is going to need to look for outside assistance. He suggests that an IMF loan of 20 to $25 billion will be needed to start easing the pressure. Dieb has already said he's planning to visit the Gulf. The big question is whether funds will be forthcoming. I believe that the Gulf states um, will be listening and listening mode. I think they are positive towards Lebanon, but at the same time they look at history and they'll turn to Prime Minister Diab and say, you need to get your own house, house in order. But, he says, there are options other than straight cash. One would be subsidised fuel to reduce the cost of producing electricity, and the other would be Gulf-funded development projects. For example, the UAE uh, could help um, rebuild the power sector in Lebanon and restore electricity production. That is something that is easily done. Uh, it would take something like six to eight months. But the reforms needed to solve the crisis, pension reform, labour market reform, reducing the size of the public sector, reviewing salaries and wages, and some form of managed restructuring of debt, will all be painful. So these are deep reforms that are required. And it means that any government uh, is going to have to take deeply unpopular measures. Um, That's why I call a a government that's going to try this, a Harakiri government, Um, you're going to have to commit political suicide uh, for the sake of the country. Diab and his government face a massive economic challenge, as well as mass uprisings on the streets. Neither will be easy to solve, and the reaction to his nomination shows that he'll have a hard time in convincing the Lebanese people that he can get the job done. 26-year-old protester Rowan Halil doesn't sound convinced. As you can see, those people are not satisfied. And these are the hungry ones. So these are the ones that are going to keep fighting to get their rights. From downtown Beirut, we asked the Nationals' Willie Lowry where he sees this all headed. I don't know how this ends because clearly this government is not what the protesters want. Uh, what the protesters want, it's a little hard to articulate. They, they don't always, you know, it's not a one cohesive group, so there, there are disparate views. But essentially, they want this political system that has existed since the end of the Civil War, this sectarian system that, that you know, ensures all of the different religious sects are somehow incorporated or involved in the government, to be thrown away with. They're done with it. So I don't know how this ends, uh, but I don't think they're going to leave the street anytime soon. Thanks this week to Nasa Saidi, Willie Lowry in Beirut, and all of the protesters on the streets who spoke to us. You can follow all of the latest news out of Lebanon and elsewhere across the region at thenational.ae. We were produced this week by Ayesha Khan, Arthur Edison, and Eric El Kershi. Subscribe in your podcast app to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines whenever there's a new one. If you like this episode, please leave us a review. It really helps.